moment, but I'd like to just read the passage again from Philippians um, that will lead us to the prayer that I want to focus on at the end of uh, Philippians 1, Philippians 1, 9 to 11. But let's start again at, this, at the front end of the letter that we started last week and read from Philippians chapter 1 and start in verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And now this is my prayer, and this is the, the section that we'll be focusing on this morning, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul starts this letter by calling himself a servant of Jesus Christ, Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ. I read today the statement of the Queen, who today uh, has served uh, as our Queen for 70 years. Uh, 70 years ago today, uh, King George VI died, and Elizabeth, uh, aged 25, uh, became the Queen of England, uh, the Queen uh, and our Queen for the last 70 years. And she gave a statement today to mark her platinum jubilee, and she signed it, Your Servant. <coughs> and uh, she has served well as Queen, and um, I think it would be good for us to pray for her today on this, her platinum jubilee. Uh, 70 years as she has reigned over us. And as we sing our national anthem, we sing... God save our gracious queen. Long live our noble queen. God save the queen. We're told to pray for those who reign over us and who are in authority over us. And the queen with her faith in Jesus Christ has served well and served long. But she is coming to the latter years of her reign. And I want to pray that in these the latter years of her being our queen, that God would bless her, that God would protect her, that God would um, mark this... Uh, part of her reign and that she would do it uh, with the same faithfulness that she has served us these last 70 years. So the Queen, our servant, <laughs> shall we stand as we pray for, for her? Lord, we thank you for our Queen. We thank you that she has served for 70 years in this role of sovereign and that she has done so uh, with a solemn vow, a calling, um, an anointing uh, to be the queen. And we pray for her today as we mark 70 years uh, 
since her accession, accession to the throne on the death of her father at the age of 25. We pray, Lord, uh, in these latter years as she's recently lost her husband and as she serves through so much change, has seen so many prime ministers come and go, has seen so many world events unfold, Lord, uh, we pray for her today that you would continue to fill her with wisdom and with, uh, with uh, the Holy Spirit. We pray, God, that you will uh, watch over her, Lord, and in these, her latter years, that she will reign well with wisdom and depth of insight. We pray, Lord, uh, for her and for her household. We pray that, Lord, you and your name will be glorified in and through her reign, and we ask you to bless her today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Please take your seats. Let's look on the screen, and this is my prayer, if we could put that up. This is my prayer, Paul says, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's start at the end. Let's start at the end. Let's look at what we're aiming for. Let's look at what Paul is praying for. Uh, what the ultimate goal is, like a novel or a movie uh, that you watch or you read and you open with the final scene. You know, when you watch one of those kind of movies and you watch the final scene first, the murder or the marriage or the kiss or the couple falling in love or whatever it is, you see the denouement first and then you go back and you, and you work out how we got there. Or the same happens in a novel. You can, you can read this, the end of the story first. It's kind of a literary mechanism. And then, and then you go back. You see the, you see the line on the, in the movie or uh, 30 years earlier. And, and we go back then and we realize how we got there. So we're starting uh, today at the end. And the end is to the praise and glory of God. To the glory and praise of God. That is, that is what Paul is praying for. That's the ultimate thing in his prayer, that's, that's what he's aiming for, is he's praying for these Philippian, uh, Philippian believers. This is his purpose, this is his, his goal. We can, we can see what he's after, that God would be glorified in their lives, that God would be praised in their lives. Glorify, to glorify is one of those words that we use in church, we've just sung it actually in, in some of our songs and it, it's kind of perhaps a little bit difficult to nail down for us at times or to understand. But to glorify God means to give him all the honor and to give him all the praise for all the things that he has done. And it's to hold him up to a high place of honor in our heart. That is to glorify God. You know, when someone gets the glory, they are, they are honored, they are lifted up, they are exalted. Glorifying God means to feel and to think and to act in ways that reflect God's greatness, that make much of God, that give evidence of his supreme greatness in all of his attributes, is to glorify God. And Paul is praying for these believers, and ultimately what he wants to happen through them, through the church, through this church, through the global church, is that God would be praised, and that God would be glorified, that God would be honored. It's the same prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your name be made holy, lifted up, exalted. We sing a song here and we sing worthy of it all. 
And we, we sing these words, all the saints and angels, they bow down before your throne. All the elders cast their crowns before the Lamb of God and sing, you are worthy of it all. You're worthy of it all. Far, for from you are all things and to you are all things. You deserve the glory. You deserve the glory, God. And that's what Paul is, is praying for here. He's praying, and when we look at the end of our prayer, to the glory and to the praise of God. That's what Paul is praying for. Now, just short of 400 years ago, some Puritans came together, Puritan elders and Puritan leaders, and they, they uh, put together some questions and answers to outline the Christian faith, and they called it the Westminster Shorter Catechism. A catechism is basically a question and answer form of, of asking the main tenets of our Christian faith. And these Puritan believers wanted to outline kind of the essence of our faith. And one of the first questions they asked in this catechism, this Westminster Short Catechism was, what is the chief end of man? What are we here for? What is our purpose? What's the point of mankind? Why do we exist? And the answer that they wrote to that question was, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to praise him and enjoy him forever. That's why we're here. That is the chief end. That is the main purpose of our existence is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's why we were made. And that is the purpose of our lives. And, the, and while it's not a b- b- biblical phrase, why we don't find that particular phrase from that catechism in Scripture, we certainly find the teaching of that catechism in Scripture. The Bible tells us with great clarity that we were created to bring glory to God. That's why we, that's why we were made. The, 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 the chief end of Christians and of the church, the main reason that the church exists is to bring glory to God and to praise him. And there's no higher calling. And John Piper said and told us repeatedly in his books and teaching uh, we do this by enjoying him forever. He, uh, John Piper uses the term Christian hedonism. <laughs> to be hedonists, to people enjoying God. We are to enjoy God, enjoy our relationship with him, to love him wholeheartedly in a way that gives glory to him and praise to him. We are to be Christian hedonists. We are to bring glory to God. So the, the end goal, the telos of this passage, of Paul's prayer, of, of what he's asking for. The ultimate goal and purpose of our lives is to bring glory and praise to God. So if we put it on the screen again, this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what's best, may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the f- uh, fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. And all of that, all of that is to the, to the praise and to the glory of God, and that's what Paul is asking for. This reminds me of the opening gambit of, of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, if you remember when we studied that, and uh, when Paul lists all of the spiritual blessings and, and benefits of what it is to be a Christ follower in his letter to the Ephesians in the first chapter, and he, he, he reminds them of everything that God has done for them. You are, you are called and you are chosen and you are redeemed and you are forgiven and you are adopted into God's family and you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. And, and Paul breathes out this one long Greek sentence of praise and glory to God and outlines to them every blessing that they have in, in Christ. But he punctuates that, 
that long flowing sentence with the staccato phrase, to the praise and glory of God. This is to the praise and glory of God. You've been called to the praise and glory of God, chosen, adopted as God's children, sealed with his Holy Spirit, redeemed through his blood on the cross, to the praise and glory of God, Paul says. It's all to God's praise and glory. It's all that God would be honored in and through us. And that is what Paul is is praying for here. And also when he wrote to the Corinthians, Paul said, whether you eat or whether you drink, uh, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. So even when you're eating and when you're drinking or when you're playing football or playing games on your computer or whether you are at work or whether you are at home, Paul says as he writes to the Corinthians, he said, whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. Do it to honour God in your life. And so we find this phrase at the end of this opening prayer. It, it, it is the end of the 5K. We've got to work out how to get from the couch to the 5K. We've got to work out how to get there, how to get to the praise and the glory of God in our lives. And Paul tells us and shows us how to do that. We need to do three things, he says, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to, and here are the three things that we need to be able to do so that we can bring praise and glory to God. We need to be able to discern what is best or to approve what is excellent, the Bible says, another version or another translation says. We need to be pure and blameless for the day of Christ and we need to be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. And those three things are the things that will bring praise and glory to God. So that's what Paul is praying for them. First of all, to discern what is best. Um, another version reads, to prove what is excellent. Have you come across Morrison's The Best logo? <laughs> uh, if you shop at Morrison's, you know every supermarket, other supermarkets exist. And uh, this is not in any way to endorse any supermarket. Uh, but they have their logo, The Best. Uh, they, have, they have their entry level range of food and then they have a kind of a medium range. And then if you want the best ingredients, the best sourcing, then you you get the best or, you know, um, of course it might be taste the difference or a special, uh, extra special or deluxe or whatever it is for your supermarket of choice. The best. Paul says, I want you to be able to discern what is the best, the best version of you, the best for your life. I want you to be able to prove what is excellent, to make excellent choices in your life. I want you to be able to to do that. So Paul's praying for them for what is best, that they can test and approve what is best for what is excellent. And he's praying against entrenched mediocrity. He's praying for a sense of, to use Moffat's translation, what is vital, what is vital for their lives, what is above and beyond to live excellent lives. So he prays, first of all, for the best so that, that would bring praise and glory to God. Remember, that is the end goal. That's the start of the novel, the start of the movie. As Don Carson says, these excellent things that he's praying for are nothing less than all the elements characteristic of maturing Christian discipleship. 
So he prays for three things. If we put the screen back up again for the three things that he prays for. He prays that you might discern what is best. He prays then that you might be pure and blameless for the day of Christ and that you may be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Those are the three things. I want you to be able to discern what is best or approve what is excellent. I want you to be pure and blameless for the day of Christ and to be filled with the fruit of righteousness and all of this to the praise and glory of God. What does it mean to be blameless and pure? That's what Paul is, is asking for them. Now, some people would say that that means what, what um, Donna and Amy were talking about this morning. That means the imputation of righteousness. The, to, to use the analogy of the bank accounts is that Jesus has a bank account. And in Jesus' bank account is, is righteousness, is to be right with God, is purity and holiness. And in our bank account is, is sin and wrongdoing. And what, what the Bible says is, is that a divine exchange took place in that Jesus took our sin and he gave us his righteousness. So he transferred his credit into our debit account and we gave our debit to his credit. And a transference took place, an imputation took place. And this is called justification. This is what we remember when we come to the table and we take communion together. We remember that Jesus died for us and he gave us his righteousness. He made us right with God. He imputed it to us. We didn't earn it. Uh, we can't buy it. We, we, can never, we can never do it through our own righteous acts. It is a gift of God. And so that no one can boast. It is by the grace of God alone. And so is that what Paul is talking about here when he talks about being pure and blameless for the day of Christ, for when Jesus comes back? Is he talking about this justification, this imputation, this transfer of accounts? Or is he talking about impartation, uh, sanctification, where we become more like Jesus? We, we become Christians. We give our, our lives to Christ. And then over time, we become more like Jesus. We become more like him, like a married couple when they get married at the start. As the longer they're together, the more similar they get, the more alike they become in their, in their actions and their mannerisms. They, they become like each other. And so... Uh, is that what Paul is talking about here? A, a gradual change, an impartation of righteousness by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. A real, a real sense of, of purity, of blamelessness, of becoming more like Jesus. An increasing holiness. I think that's what Paul is talking about here when he's praying for them. That they might become pure and blameless until the day of Christ, until Jesus comes back. Uh, he's, he's really talking about an ongoing work in, the, in these Christian lives. Remember last week we said that he prays for them and he, he prays in, in 1 verse 6. He's, he, he says, I'm, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, he will carry it on unto completion until the day of Jesus Christ. So until Jesus returns, the day of Jesus Christ, that work is ongoing God hasn't finished with us yet. So that's what Paul is praying for them with confidence that I know that what God started in you all those days ago, all those years ago, he's going to keep doing it. He's going to keep working in your life until the day of Christ Jesus. So I think Paul is talking about an ongoing work where we become more like Jesus, a, a sense of being sanctified, being made more holy. I also think that because in chapter 2 verses 14 and 15, 
of Philippians, Paul prays, Paul says this, he says, do everything, do everything without grumbling or arguing. How's that working for you? <laughs> do everything without grumbling or arguing uh, so that you may become blameless and pure. Those are our two words in our prayer here in, in, what? in chapter one. So that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and a crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like, like stars in the sky. Paul's saying, as, as, as you develop like this, don't, don't grumble, don't argue, but become, you become more blameless and pure, like, like, and then you shine like these stars in the universe, in a, in a crooked and a warped generation. You'll stand out as you become more like Jesus, uh, as, as you're different. So Paul's saying in 1 verse 6, you know, God started something in you, but he's not finished it yet. And then he's saying in, in 2 verse 14 and 15 that actually this work is ongoing and that you're going to become pure and blameless in a, in a warped and a crooked generation as God works and imparts this righteousness into your life. It's real moral change. It's real, uh, a, a real change from glory to glory. It's, it's being changed in real ways and in real terms. And the other reason I think that Paul is saying this is because then in Philippians chapter 3 verses 11 to 12, he says of himself then, he says, as he's writing this letter to them, he says, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead, not that I have already obtained all this <laughs> or I've already been made perfect, <laughs> but I press on to take hold of that which for which Christ has taken hold of me. So Paul's saying to them, God started something in you, but he's not finished it. He's saying then of, of, uh, of the whole generation of the church that they are being changed in a way that they're becoming blameless and pure. Then he's saying of himself, look, I've not, I'm not, I've not arrived yet, but I know, that, I know that Jesus has taken hold of me and I press on to take hold of him. And I've not already been made perfect, but I, I press on and I move forward. And so that's what Paul means here when he's talking about being made pure and blameless until the day of Christ. And if we're aware of sin, as Amy has reminded us this morning, we confess it and we're being changed from glory to glory. To be filled with the fruit of righteousness, Paul says, is to be characterized by the conduct, the actions, the words, the thoughts that God judges to be right. So this is an ongoing work in our lives. Uh, and it's to the praise and the glory of God. Remember, that's the end, the praise and the glory of God. So let's look at those three things again, if we put that back on the screen. So this is, what, this is where we're going. Remember at the end, we've started with the end. The end is the glory and praise of God. That's the chief end of man. The three ways that we're going to do that in our lives is that we're going to discern what is best. We're going we're gonna to approve what is excellent. We're going to become an increasingly pure and blameless until the day of Christ. And we're going to be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. But then these three things, before these, these, these three things, there is an artesian well. There is a source for all of that. And if we put up our next screen, if we go to the next screen and we'll read again, and this is my prayer, Paul says. This is going back to the start, the source, the well. Where is this all coming from? Paul prays, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. 
so that you may be able to do these other things, so that you can discern what's best, so that you can be pure and blameless, so that you can be filled with the fruit of the righteousness of Christ, so that you can bring glory and praise to God. But the artesian well, the start of it, the source of it, is that your love, Paul prays for them, as he's praying, I'm praying for you, I don't stop praying for you, I pray that your love may abound more and more, and that it would do so in knowledge and depth of insight. That's what I'm praying for you for. Would it be too much of a generalization to divide the church into two camps? I don't know, you tell me. Those that love singing and worship and the felt presence of God, you'd happily just sing all day long and uh, sing more songs and you love the worship, you love the singing and that's your favorite part of the, of the service. And then there are those amongst us, I put it to you, that prefer the word of God and the preaching bit of the service. And uh, you like to study and you like to read the Bible and you like to hear it preached. And you'd quite happily have more of that and less of the singing. Um, so there are, I think, amongst us sometimes, there are more, some of us that lean more towards kind of the love and the, and the intimacy and the, and the experience of, of that presence of God in that way. And there are some of us perhaps who lean more towards the knowledge and the depth of insight and the preached word of God in our tendencies and our preferences. Am I, uh, to, to quote a line from a sitcom I watch, am I right or am I right? <laughs> I think I'm right. Now, of course, that's a generalization, but... Um, I think I've seen over the years numerous people who would happily skip some of the singing in the church and would get straight to the Bible teaching. And there are those who would happily, as difficult as I find this to grasp, would happily shorten the preaching and <laughs> sing more and uh, have more singing. Um, but equally, there's a form of teaching that has come to the fore in the church, in, in, in parts of the church, uh, that emphasize, emphasize love over everything. And, and uh, this is typified by a book, say, Rob Bell's book, Love Wins. Uh, if you've never read it, don't bother. Um, <laughs> but it, but it's, it's a manifesto. It's a manifesto for a kind of a universalism that says that God just loves everybody and everything will be all right in the end. There's no judgment. There's no end time, there's no need for atonement, there's no need for the death of Christ on the cross in that sense, because love wins, love wins, God is love, how can a God of love send anyone to hell, is the question, and the answer but from this element, from this stream of the church is, is we just need to love, we just need to lean into God's love, God just loves everybody, and, uh, and love wins, love is the answer, but, but what Paul is praying here. He's praying that the love will abound more and more, but he's also praying that the love will abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight. The Greek word is epignosis, which means all knowledge, breadth of knowledge. Now, this is, this is what Paul wrote when he wrote to the Corinthians. If we're looking for the best, if we're looking to prove what is excellent, Paul wrote when he wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 13, he said, I will show you the most excellent way. I will show you the most excellent way. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, 
but I do not have love. I am a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I have, if, if I have the gift of prophecy, if I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, uh, but if I don't have, if I have a faith that can move mountains, but if I, if I don't have love, I am nothing. Uh, if I give all I possess to the poor and I give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but if, if I don't have love, <laughs> I gain nothing. I will show you, Paul says, I will show you a most, the most excellent way. I'll show you what it is, and it's love. And then he tells us elsewhere, he says, put on all of these things, and above all else, put on, put on love. And he says, these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. So love is, is, is right there at the center. It's the most excellent way. It's, love does win in that sense. Love is vital. But elsewhere, Paul, when he writes to the, to the Roman believers, he says, look, I don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by, by the renewing of your mind, <laughs> by the way you think, the things you know, the insight you gain. That's going to transform you from the inside out. So don't be like the world. Be like these shining stars that stand out in the universe. And the way to do that is to be renewed in your mind, is, is to have this knowledge of God and this depth of insight, this breadth of insight that Paul is talking about. So when Paul writes and prays for these believers, the ever-increasing love that he's praying for, I pray for you that you might abound in love, have more and more love for God and for one another, that love will typify you, exemplify you. You'll be known for your love. Uh, Jesus said, this is how people will know you're my disciples because you have love for one another. Uh, but without knowledge and insight, if you just have love, uh, if you just have the singing side, the worship side, the feeling side, if you just have that side, you can very quickly move into a, into a kind of a, a sentimentality or a mushy pluralism like Rob Bell. Where love wins and we just, all you need is love. The Beatles sang it, Rob Bell wrote about it. But without love, knowledge, if you just have the knowledge side, if you just have the insight, the wisdom side, the, the Bible side, the, the, the studying side, the theology side, then you can become overbearing and proud and legalistic and puffed up. So knowledge alone, Paul writes in, in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 8, he says knowledge alone makes people self-righteously arrogant in the Amplified Version. If you have just knowledge, just the theology, just the Bible, just the, that side, knowledge and insight, it can make people self-righteously arrogant. But love that unselfishly seeks the best for others builds up and encourages others to grow in wisdom. And so we need, we need truth that is saturated with love. And we need love that is saturated with truth. We need both. And so Paul, when he's praying for them, he's saying, I'm praying for you that your love would abound more and more, that your hearts would grow bigger, your experience of God would expand, your, your worship of him, your experience of him, Christian hedonism would grow in your life, that you would experience God in this way, in a heart way, 
in a love way, that you would love God deeply. But I'm praying for you that you'll do that in a way that is full of knowledge and insight and depth of insight. It's the same thing that Jesus said when he said, those that worship me, they will worship me in spirit and in truth. <laughs> you know, if you're going to really worship God, you've got to know who he is. You've got to know about his attributes. You can't really praise somebody or worship somebody who you don't know or you know nothing about. So, as we grow in the love and the knowledge of God, we will be able to discern and know and understand what is best. We'll be able to approve what is excellent. We will grow in purity and blamelessness. Not that it's a done deal or a finished job until Jesus returns. But we will grow and we'll become those pure and blameless people who hold out the truth of God in a wicked and depraved generation and shine like stars in the universe. We will be those people, not who have sinless perfection, but who are becoming more like Jesus, wiser and more loving. Our hearts and our minds will become profoundly Christian. They used to say of those people in John Wesley's day, using a term as a pejorative term, they used to call them enthusiasts. The people in the church who were enthusiastic, who were effervescent, who were experiential, and they called them in a negative way. It was a, a, it was a way to put them down, these enthusiasts. And John Wesley came along and they called him a reasonable enthusiast. <laughs> a reasonable enthusiast. And there's his biography uh, written about him uses that term, the reasonable enthusiast. Because we need love and we need knowledge and wisdom and depth of insight so that we can approve what is best. We can make the right choices in life. We can approve what is excellent so that uh, we can become pure and blameless until the day of Christ Jesus. So that we can grow in the fruit of righteousness in our lives. And all of that is to the praise and the glory of God. So we go back to the start of our movie. We go back to the start of our novel. We go back to the end. And the end, the chief end of all of our lives, the reason for the church is to bring praise and glory to God. So let's put the screen back up again with that prayer. And let's look at it and read it out together and see where we've been. And this is my prayer. Look at the end. To the glory and the praise of God. That's where we're aiming. That's what God wants to do in our lives. That we would honour him uh, in our relationships. That we would honour him and give glory to him in our workplace. In the way we use our money. In the way we use our time that we would glory, bring glory and honour to, to God. How do we do that? How do we bring praise and glory to God? Well, we do that by approving what is excellent, what is best. We do that by becoming more like Jesus and by showing people that, by becoming pure and blameless, this phraseology that Paul uses later in his letter. We do that by having this fruit, the fruit of right living in our lives. We stand out, we're different. But how do we do that? Then we go back further we do that as we grow in love. We do that as we grow in love and we abound in knowledge and depth of insight. And as we do that, that all brings praise and glory to God. And this is the transformation that Paul is praying for. He wants us all to be reasonable enthusiasts. Let's pray.
The Bible always carries with it this tension of what God does for us and what we do ourselves. So we have this imparted, imputed sense of righteousness that we've heard about and contemplated so powerfully this morning as we took communion. Then we have this impartation, this changing righteousness as we grow more and more like God and like Jesus. And this is the expectation of Paul for these Philippian believers. This is his prayer. And I'm going to make it my prayer for you and for me this morning. And this is, this is my prayer for, for you, that your love may abound more and more. And the Bible says in Romans, does it not, that God pours out his love into our hearts by his Holy Spirit. So I pray for you today that God would do that, that you would be a Christian hedonist, that you would be someone that loves God so much, that loves his presence, that loves to worship him, that is an enthusiast, that you just love him, you know that you love him, you want to tell other people that you love him. And I pray for you, church, this morning, that you would grow more and more in that kind of love that also is married to knowledge and insight, that your love wouldn't be a mawkish sentimentality or a universalist mush, but that you would love in a way that is full of the knowledge of Christ and full of insight and wisdom, that you would be a reasonable enthusiast so that you may be able to discern what's best for your life and approve what is excellent. I pray for you this morning that where you have decisions ahead, where you have choices to make, where you have career paths to choose, partners to decide on, I pray that you will be able to approve and, and know what is excellent and what is best for your life. And I pray for you that you will be pure and blameless in a way that stands out like stars shining in the universe until Jesus returns. And I pray for you this morning that you would be filled with the fruit of righteousness, which is the fruit of the Spirit. And that comes through Jesus Christ. And I pray all of this, that as a church and that as individuals, we might bring praise and glory and honor to God. That where we work, where we study, where we go to school, in our families, that we would be people that honor and praise and glory God, that we enjoy him uh, forever because this is why we exist. And I pray all of these things for you and for me and for us in Jesus' name.